0: I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we're witnessing probably the greatest change in transportation since the rise of the internal combustion engine. And obviously that was over a hundred years ago. We're just moving the dial further and further towards cars being closer to a smartphone on wheels. Another area that we're looking at, which we think looks really interesting is electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles or so-called flying taxis.
1: I'm Vincent McCarthy, and you're listening to the ESG Factor podcast. Change creates challenges, but it also brings opportunities. And this is why we'll be talking about the sustainability transition and the future of transport. Today, I'm joined by Alistair Bishop. Alistair is Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at BlackRock. Alistair, thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: Well, thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Can you maybe give listeners a, a sense of what you do at BlackRock?
0: Sure. So so I'm a portfolio manager within BlackRock's fundamental equities business. So I'm responsible for managing uh, sustainable thematic uh, equity funds uh, and we invest uh, across sectors and uh, globally.
1: Okay. And for listeners that are wondering what thematic funds means, it's basically for for investors, I suppose, that are looking to take a more concentrated position on themes that might develop over the coming years. And I think that's one of the things about sustainability, is that it is going to create opportunities across different industries and different sectors. Now, in terms of transport or subject that we're going to be discussing today, the future of transport, part of, of why we're talking about it is the challenges that already exist. So obviously, with the combustion engine and the greenhouse gases, uh, the emissions, that's why we're looking at new solutions to, to tackle this challenge. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on what the future of transport holds? And I suppose, first of all, the size of the challenge that exists.
0: Sure, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we're witnessing probably the greatest change in transportation since the rise of the internal combustion engine. And obviously that was over a hundred years ago. So what, So what we're really seeing is transportation's becoming cleaner, it's becoming smarter, it's becoming more connected. And then how we use all forms of mobility is also evolving. Uh, now, to, to your point, what's happening here is it's partly about technological innovation, but it's also partly being driven by environmental regulation. So transportation's the second largest source of carbon dioxide emissions globally, and therefore tackling the sector's carbon footprint is going to be essential if we're going to get anywhere close to meeting global climate targets and also if you think at the micro level transportation is also a really key determinant of urban air quality and it's a pretty depressing fact that uh, over 80 percent of people living in urban areas certainly in the areas that are monitoring air, air quality they're exposed to pollution levels that are in excess of world health organization guidelines so that's also driving change from, from sort of more the, the regional and local level. Um, and I would say if you think about that as the key driver, uh, like many other aspects of sustainability, the trends we're seeing around transportation have really been accelerated by the pandemic. And, and obviously there's a lot of negatives from the virus, but one clear positive is that I think it really has provided society with a stark reminder of our fragility as a species. And it's encouraged governments globally to refocus and strengthen their commitment to fighting what, frankly, is a far greater threat to humanity, which is obviously climate change. And and so whilst we didn't necessarily see the same press last year for obvious reasons, it's worth remembering that we had uh, a lot of climatic events. We had wildfires in California, the worst ever recorded in the state. We had severe flooding in Central Africa. We had record temperatures across many parts of the world. And and so, if you look at the latest uh, United Nations Emissions Gap Report, it highlights that despite all of the efforts we've seen around uh, decarbonizing the power market, and now we're starting to see around decarbonizing the transport market, the world's still tracking towards a temperature rise well in excess of three degrees. So, which obviously means, uh, unfortunately, that we're likely to see the effects of global warming increase further in their scale and frequency. And I would say to finish there, maybe just the the good news is that I think the potential for that to occur uh, in terms of the pace of transition has been boosted by the the actions of governments we're seeing. And obviously, transportation is going to be a key part of that.
1: Yeah. And I suppose one of the one of the challenges for people with uh, when we talk about sustainability is the fact that it's hard to actually put it into a kind of a real world context. So people talk about climate change at a very high level, but on that point of pollution that you mentioned in terms of the air quality, you know, I think people need to remember, like, you know, when you're standing at a a traffic lights and you're waiting to cross the road, and then all of a sudden a car that let's say has an older engine passes by, and you can get that kind of, that fumes that come off it and you kind of think, okay this is what it really means when we're talking about carbon emissions and emissions that are impacting our air quality and our standard of living we can't actually see something but it's there and maybe that's part of the problem that it's not actually visible to us um it's just actually impacting our health uh, invisibly i suppose but in terms of the transition then to from the combustion engine which is part of the big part of the problem here to other solutions. The last few years we've seen that momentum in electric vehicles, is that, is that where the biggest change is coming?
0: Yeah, I, I would say if we think about the passenger car, uh, our, our view is that uh, electrification, it looks like the, the, the solution that will be uh, delivered over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, now there are alternatives. Uh, we've seen sort of natural gas vehicles being pursued uh, and uh, hydrogen fuel cells is another uh, option there. But, but I think for passenger vehicles, given the progress we've already seen in reducing the, the cost of the battery, uh, that solution looks likely to be the winner there. For, for sort of heavier transports, uh, there's still a bit, a bit more of a battle ongoing and it remains to be seen whether hydrogen uh, and fuel cells or electricity uh, is, is the ultimate winner through that. But either way, clearly it's about uh, decarbonizing uh, transportation, but both at the point of use. So as you say, if you're standing by um, trying to cross cross the road, uh, an electric vehicle or a fuel cell vehicle, they have zero emissions at that point. Uh, but also it's about uh, overall decarbonization, because uh, even if you've got an electric vehicle, it still requires electricity to be manufactured. It still requires being charged and you need the electricity that is charging it to also decarbonize. And that's why you need things like renewable energy to to go hand in hand with what's happening in transportation for this to really uh, drive us towards a net zero future.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an important point as well around the decarbonization at a, at a high level because one of the... Um, I suppose negatives put to the electric vehicle market is that they're still mining for minerals that are um, resulting in a big carbon impact as well. And some of the, maybe the the treatment of workers in those areas as well. So is it a case of our focus on sustainability has to be more than just the end product. It has to be the the full supply chain to make sure that we're improving it. from the worker that's mining the 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 minerals right through to the to the purchaser who's using the car Uh, absolutely and i think too often with sustainability
0: it's seen as black and white so internal combustion engine bad electric vehicle good Uh, and obviously electric vehicles have a a big improvement in the in the carbon uh output Uh, and all in if you look in europe and you use the european power generation mix you're talking about a 50 percent reduction in the carbon intensity of the car when you take into account all of the all of the carbon that's required in its production and charging. Um, but but as you say, if you think about the sort of well-to-wheel um, situation, there are uh, sustainability challenges with electric vehicles. You are using um, uh, materials that come from uh, challenging parts of the world. If you think about cobalt, around two thirds of the supplies from the Democratic Republic of Congo at the moment. Uh, and so there is a need throughout the supply chain to ensure that um, that this transition is happening in a sustainable uh, fashion, uh, with sort of high uh, uh, environmental, social, and government standard governance standards.
1: And you mentioned regulation at the start and the impact that that's having, but there's more need to be done because I suppose we're talking about such a fundamental shift and at a government level as well, we're talking about a rebalancing of how resources are used. So obviously the fossil fuel industry has big subsidies? Do we need to see see a shift in terms of how those subsidies are used? Maybe more supports for individuals to put in the necessary facilities to be able to charge the car. So obviously it's fine buying an electric car, but if you don't have the charge station close by, you're not going to be getting anywhere. So is there a number of different factors that we need to see working together?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not necessarily sort of an either or, it's sort of all of the above that needs to Needs to happen. I mean, you, you mentioned the infrastructure side. I mean, I, I personally think that's less of a concern. Um, it's it's usually it's one of the big questions that are, often comes to us around: is there going to be enough charging? How much of a uh, how much of a sort of barrier to adoption is that? Um, but if you think from a technical perspective, if we all woke up tomorrow with an electric vehicle in Europe, at least you'd add around ten percent to the region's electricity demand. Um, so that, that feels like that is, uh, an, a manageable increase in electricity demand for the, clearly you will need investment, but given the timeline we're looking at, uh, I, I think that is entirely possible. I suspect if we were doing this podcast a hundred years ago, we'd be worrying about, are there going to be enough, uh, petrol stations? Um, and, and so I'm, I'm somewhat of the view that, uh, if there's demand for, uh, the, the sort of charging points, those charging points will, will be uh, invested and built uh but but absolutely it still needs to happen and then if you think about uh driving the adoption to uh electric vehicles um over the medium and long term uh it will be driven by relative economics, societal pressure but over the next say three or four years it like an electric vehicle is still not uh economically equivalent to an internal combustion engine. If you are only thinking about the the financial cost, uh, you would still go for an internal combustion engine. And that's where regulation is important to bridge that gap. Uh, The positive being, obviously, we are seeing a lot of regulation to do that. Uh, And if we look uh, ahead, we have the European Green Deal, we have a new China five-year plan, we have a new administration in the US, and so all of those are likely to provide uh, additional support measures uh, which will drive that adoption uh, over the coming years. And then, from a technology perspective, the battery costs are coming down very, very rapidly. We saw around an 80% decline in the cost of the battery over the last decade. And so, at the current uh, rate of change, we do think the electric vehicle will reach parity with the internal combustion engine by the middle of this decade. And, and at that point, we would expect a, to see a further acceleration in the rate of Uh, electric vehicle adoption.
1: And in terms then of the rate of adoption, is there a point where you can envisage a situation where the majority of the vehicles are on the road that are are electric vehicles so that we reach a point in the future potentially where the combustion engine car is almost like a vintage model? Yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: So uh, if you think of today, um, less than 1% of the global light vehicle fleet is currently electrified. So we've obviously got a long way to go there and, and it will take some time because you have to uh, really start shifting out uh, uh, the existing car fleet and typically cars last 10 to 15 years. So there is a sort of a natural transition period. But if we think about new car sales, uh, we think that uh, by the end of this decade, probably sort of a third of new car sales uh, in 2030 will be electrified. Uh, and that will continue to accelerate beyond that. So that's about a tenfold increase in the size of the electric vehicle market over this decade, um, and then continuing to grow beyond that. And as we go into the 2030s, that will start to rapidly um, sort of decarbonize and shift the the underlying fleet. So so completely agree with your your opening point that we will get to a point where uh, over 50%, well over 50%, frankly, uh, of the fleet uh, is uh, electrified or, or using another um, low carbon uh, uh, form of power generation.
1: And I think this is what listeners need to remember that sustainability is not just a constraint. It's a source of opportunity because of the disruption that creates these opportunities. So the companies that you're looking at, obviously, low carbon is something you've talked about, autonomous and connected is something you see in the future for transportation
0: it is i mean there's been a lot of excitement around uh, autonomous vehicles and we've generally been a bit more cautious just on the timeline uh than than some of the uh, expectations out there but definitely we we are seeing significant capital put to work to um develop the technologies around that um and, and so uh, as we look over the next ten plus years, we do think that uh, autonomous technologies will will start to to disrupt the transportation industry over and above what we're talking about or have been talking about in terms of the powertrain electrifying. Um, so the technology is is already making strong progress. You've you've already got examples where uh, in sort of certain uh, controlled environments you are seeing uh, autonomous vehicles being used and i would imagine that will expand quite a bit over the next 3 to 5 years if you think about camp industrial campuses or airports those are those are uh, obvious examples where you could see autonomous vehicles being introduced in a relatively short period of time to 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 have it so that you and i are using autonomous vehicles on a sort of daily basis i think that is a longer dated uh, situation and that partly reflects technology clearly you need to uh, be able to uh, work in all all forms and conditions um, but also there's sort of uh non-technical factors around uh, regulation around uh, legal situations that would need to be overcome so we see that happening more on a sort of 10 plus year time frame.
1: It sounds interesting, the autonomous stuff. But I mean, you think even just cruise control, sometimes you be a bit nervous putting on cruise control. So a lot of it is going to be about um, a level of comfort that people can have with the technology. But look, you're immersed in looking at these companies and how the technology is evolving. How would you feel about getting a car that had that ability to, to go autonomous and take a drive from London to Liverpool or wherever it is and just leave it to the car to, to bring you there?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a completely fair point. And I think it will take a little bit of time for people to get used to it. Uh, and actually, that means that when you think about the technology level to create adoption, it, it's not reaching a point where autonomous vehicles are as good as human vehicle, uh, drivers. It's going to be reaching a point where they are dramatically better than human drivers because uh, there will be that much higher scrutiny are on any time a autonomous vehicle crashes, uh, it'll be all over the media, et cetera. Whereas obviously that's not the case every time uh, there's a hu- human failure as it relates to uh, to driving. So I think you'll need to have a higher bar for autonomous vehicles uh, around safety uh, before they are uh, rolled out more broadly. Um, but, but, but certainly I can see myself uh, in, 10 years from now, it becoming um, uh, a form of transport that that you and I are starting to use.
1: And then the connected element of it is that basically where all of the vehicles would be connected kind of through smart technology, I guess, so that it helps from a transportation perspective with respect to traffic and, and those types of things.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and to some degree, it, it goes hand in hand with um sort of advanced driving but and then ultimately fully autonomous vehicles that uh, if you start to create a an ecosystem of connected vehicles they can share data uh, on things like traffic or, or road conditions um and, and that can help uh improve safety uh for for everyone that's on the road so I think that connectivity and that move towards cars being, smarter and ultimately fully autonomous, will, will very much go hand in hand. Now to do that, you do need uh, investments in the infrastructure. Uh, so you're likely to need uh, the rollout of the 5G network, which is just starting to to happen in, in, in many countries, because you do need to ensure that there's no sort of latency on the system. You, obviously, if you think about being on a mobile phone, you can't have sort of blind spots uh, if you're moving towards being fully autonomous. Um, so, uh, again, it won't happen overnight, but, it, but it will, uh, happen in increments. And so if you think about, I don't know when you last purchased a car, but, uh, uh, certainly the last car I bought the, the step change in technology from the car I bought previously was pretty dramatic. Um, and I suspect the next car I buy will again, have a lot more features around connectivity, around safety. And so you'll you'll see that with every sort of life cycle of cars that we're just uh, moving the dial further and further towards uh, cars being uh, closer to a smartphone on wheels.
1: And I suppose that then depends on having a proper internet infrastructure. So you talked about infrastructure, and I think in Ireland, um, most people would be familiar with our challenges around having good Wi-Fi. and, And I think COVID has brought that into the into the mindset of most individuals because we're working from home so it it does depend on having high quality Wi-fi doesn't it
0: you do need to have a good connection network as I said I think 5g is generally seen as being uh, the standard that would be that would be workable but even within that you need to to increase uh, the use of sort of edge uh, technology so you really are uh, reducing that latency so that that the car can pick up signals. Uh, almost in real time. Um, so again, it, it's why uh, you're unlikely to see mass roll out uh, on a relatively short period of time. And this is something that will, will almost organically happen, I think, over the next uh, one to two decades.
1: And that's why we're seeing even Elon Musk pursue new ventures in the internet space, in space, um, which is going to be interesting to see. But from an investment perspective one of the things you're trying to do is make projections into the future. So you're trying to come up with a model that can foresee how disruptive this area is going to be and what it means for the companies today and to try and effectively pick the winners. So one of the things that you've mentioned in the past is that disruption can often be underestimated. Do you have some examples on that and what's your thinking around the disruption and the underestimation of it in in this space? Yeah. So, I mean, this is really
0: at the crux of thematic investing more broadly in that uh, if you look through history um, across any sort of area of disruption, generally that disruption is uh, underestimated by the market. Either the technology sort of emerges and fails and disappears, or if it's successful, you you generally see that adoption happen at a more rapid pace than than people expect. Uh, And and I think there's somewhat human nature here, that it's very hard to predict a sort of a J-curve timeline accurately, uh, because you need to get that tipping point. So, what you tend to see in forecasts, and we've seen this For many, many years on the renewable energy side in the power markets consistently being underestimated, and I think we're starting to see it with electric vehicles in transportation, is that people assume that adoption happens in a sort of relatively linear fashion, so quite a straight line adoption curve. And and really, that's just not how disruption happens. Uh, As said, if the technology is better, cheaper than the incumbent solution, it tends to happen very, very rapidly. Um and, and so that gap between uh, what is typically forecast by industrial and financial um, uh, participants and the reality of how disruption works is is the opportunity that thematic investing is is trying to capture. Um, so yeah, as said, we've we've seen this uh, in uh, the renewable space. If you look at the international energy agency's forecast for renewable energy adoption, they have been revised upwards, I think, almost every year over the last ten to fifteen years, uh, and quite meaningfully so. Um, uh, and and that has a, a created opportunities in some of the companies that are exposed to that market. And as said, we are st- obviously it's earlier stages, but we are starting to already see that happening uh, in the uh, electric vehicle uh, adoption and the pace of that, um, and and even some of the companies that have been embracing. Uh, electrification are also sort of uh, upwardly revising their forecast. And we recently had um, uh, Volkswagen uh, come out with a uh, a new Capital Markets Day, and they've talked about that by 2030 in Europe, they expect that 70% of their Volkswagen branded car sales would be electric. And that was double the forecast they made just a few years ago. So really highlighting the sort of the, the rapid race uh, rate of change that we're seeing in this space.
1: Yeah, and I think for investors, the thematic approach is a sensible one, particularly if you're looking for some diversification, rather than trying to pick the the next best electric vehicle stock or or a company that's gonna benefit in, in some area of this transition. Thematic investing allows a more concentrated approach, but a little bit more diversification at the same time. And in, in terms of the pickup from clients, are you seeing more clients ask about thematic funds to, um, express an investment view on the sustainability transition?
0: We definitely have been, um, uh, I, I would say it's been, uh, reasonably consistently growing for, for, for a number of years. And I, th- and I think it partly relates to the fact that it resonates with people. I mean, people. We we're obviously talking about transportation, people can sort of uh, understand what we're talking about. Well, hopefully at least. Um, and it it resonates with what's happening in their lives. And that's really what thematics is, is tapping into it. So it's tapping into these sort of mega trends that are happening around us, be it climate change, be it, be it technology disruption, demographic shifts. Um, and so it, it's, it, it's a slightly different way of investing from traditional investing, but I, but I think it resonates with people uh, and aligns to their maybe their own um, uh, thought process around how the world's evolving uh, and allows them to obviously uh, allocate capital in, in that way.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing, is they're able to um, reflect their views more in their investment portfolios with thema- thematic funds. I've got a funny one for you, in Back to the Future, i don't know if you're a fan of the movies but um in 1985 they went forward into 2015 they had flying cars if you were thinking about 30 years ahead what do you think the world of transport would look like uh yeah good question
0: and uh definitely a fan of the films i actually started watching one of the films with my uh children recently and uh i think it was a pg back in the day but turns out a pg in the 80s is slightly different to a to a PG nowadays, so uh, we we didn't get very far in the film before I had to rapidly uh, press the stop button. Um, but to, to your question, I mean, we've talked about autonomous vehicles. Um, I, I would say another area that we're looking at, which we think looks—it's very nascent, a so very early stage—but looks really interesting, and obviously is is pretty close to what was being talked about in Back to the Future—is uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, or or so-called flying taxis. Um, and and these really offer the, a significant potential disruption uh over the longer term of um sort of point-to-point uh uh taxi transportation um and and so these if you've if you've seen one of these these look a little bit like a helicopter um but but obviously uh fully electric uh which means that they have far less noise and therefore they can uh, more easily move within urban environments where where you have a lot of regulations around noise. Uh, now, the technology is not fully formed. The, the economics are not yet fully stacking up, but the progress that is being made does suggest that it could start opening up uh, opportunities uh, for greater rollout there. And uh, if you think about um, uh, going on holiday, certainly in the UK, you can spend as much time driving to the airport as it takes you to then fly to uh, wherever you're going, if you're going to sort of Southern Europe. And so the opportunity that you could actually go straight to the, to the airport via a uh, toll uh, for a reasonable price, a similar price to uh, a current uh, Uber or a taxi service, um, that, that would obviously be pretty appealing to people. So I think so I think that and uh, autonomous vehicles and maybe you, you get those two things combining at some stage uh, looks pretty interesting. And if we're right on those two things around autonomous vehicles and uh, eVTOL, um, that obviously has uh, pretty major implications for the transportation sector, but also more, bro- uh, more broadly. So if you think about owning a car, I mean, it's an incredibly inefficient purchase because it does tend to just sit idle for most of the day. And there's a great statistic uh, that I've heard, which, which is that at any moment in time, 95% of all the cars in the world are parked. Now, frankly, I've no idea whether that's true or not, but it certainly resonates when I think about my own car usage. But as you move towards um, autonomous vehicles and other forms of transportation, which are really all about just reducing friction, making it more convenient, then suddenly You start to think about, well, do we need that many vehicles just parked? You can increase the utilization of vehicles. So you could see a scenario where actually just the the overall number of cars uh, in the world starts to peak and starts to decline uh, as we we see some of these sort of technologies around uh, smartness uh, uh, starting
1: to evolve. Yeah, I think that area is really interesting because, as you said... You're only using your, a lot of people anyway, are only using their cars for a small amount of time. So if you had in the future, an autonomous uh, vehicle range and it's connected and you had some smartphone and you can say, okay, I need a car for, for three hours, press the button, the car drives itself over, takes you to wherever you need to go and drives itself back to the lot. That's what you call efficiency. And if we could get to that point in the next 10 years or so, that would be really interesting
0: yeah and obviously and it may not be 10 years but if we think over the next 20 20 years or so uh that will also coming full circle help with the decarbonization uh story because uh as as much as we're seeing huge progress on electrification you do just have a lot of vehicles on the road um, and the sort of the number of internal combustion engine vehicles on the road is still likely to rise uh, over the next five plus years, just because of the growth in the in the in the fleet, particularly in emerging markets. so if we start to combine that increased electrification of of new car purchases with a technology that maybe starts to obsolete uh, older vehicles you start to see those older vehicles taken out of the fleet perhaps earlier obviously that will uh, further accelerate the the shift uh, uh, towards decarbonizing transportation and sort of to a, a net zero future. Yeah.
1: And I think that's an excellent point to uh, to end the discussion on because it, it sums up, I think, the challenge in this area because new cars, new combustion cars are going to continually be added to the fleet. So we need to get to a stage where that's reducing at the same time as the electric vehicle fleet is increasing. So for me, it's a, a really, really interesting area. And I think um it's something that has the potential to connect people with the subject of sustainability and help them understand that the transition that's happening is gonna have a huge impact on their lives, but also if they're investing for the future, there's, there's these types of things they need to understand to be part of these trends as we're going forward. So I really appreciate your time for coming on the podcast. Um, so thanks very much, Alistair. No problem. Cheers for listening to the ESG Factor podcast. If you're interested in a more sustainable future, then check out theesgfactor.com for details on our Patreon community and how you can support the making of more content like this. I'm Vincent and I'll catch you later.